Let me start off by saying that truly every believer, every born-again Christian can echo, as it were, the words recorded by Peter in 1 Peter 2 verse 7, Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. And I hope we can reiterate that and repeat those words in our minds. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. And surely to the believer everything about our Saviour is precious. The person of the Saviour is precious. The place he occupied in the past is precious. The present position in heaven is precious. His purpose in bringing men to himself is precious. His passion and loving devotion for us is precious. All these are precious to the believer. The bride in the Song of Solomon even says that, yea, he is altogether lovely. Even after she gave a description of him, starting from his head and finishing at his foot, she says, look, I can't think of anything more. Yea, he is altogether lovely. And then in 1 Peter 2, we see the word precious three times. And 1 Peter 2 verse 4 says, Disallowed indeed of man, but chosen of God, and precious. In verse 6, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. In verse 7, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. So again I say it, everything about our Lord is precious. And it's worthy of our consideration. It's worthy of our study. It's worthy of our devotion this day. Isaiah had many insights regarding our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to take this one verse from Isaiah 63 and verse 1 and use it as it were as a, a bouncing off place. Who is this that cometh from Edom with thy garments from Bosra, this that is glorious in his apparel, Traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Glorious in his apparel. Now let me start off by highlighting that there are many passages in scripture which contrast one with the other. I'll just give you a couple, a few. Psalm 22 speaks of Christ's suffering. Psalm 24 speaks of Christ's glorification. John 19 speaks of his death. Revelation 19 speaks of his coming again. Here in Isaiah 63, we have a contrast to Isaiah 53. In 53, we see his suffering and humiliation. In 63, we see his glory and exaltation. And in the opening verse of Isaiah 63, we have a very pointed question. Who is this? And folks, this is a great question. 
And again, it's worthy of our consideration. I pray that even in these days, we would be asked this question. Who is this Jesus? Who is this person that you go to worship? Who is this person that you go to church to hear preached? Who is this? And I hope that people might ask that, that they might want to know of the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. But it goes on to say, who is this that is glorious in his apparel? And for a few minutes today, I want to, uh, to behold, as it were, the garments of our Lord. His apparel, as Isaiah puts it. The different garments he wore during his lifetime. Now, obviously, we knock it through all the garments. I'm hoping to get through two of them today. And firstly, let's deal with the great question. Who is this? Of course, this question has been asked many times over the years. And it was asked in relation to our Lord when he was coming into Jerusalem. In Matthew 21, 9 and 10, it says this. They cried, Hosanna, and blessed. And then when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, Who is this? Who is this? It's a very good question. As I said, Isaiah 20, or Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross. It speaks about the Savior's sufferings. Psalm 23 is the psalm of the crook. It speaks of the shepherd's supply. Psalm 24 is the psalm of the crown. And it speaks of the sovereign's supremacy. And when you read Psalm 24 verses 8 through 10 of that psalm, this great question is asked again and again. Who is this king of glory? Psalm 24 verse 7 says this. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Now I don't know if you understand what that means. Apparently in old time, the gates were made in several pieces. And the top piece was continually closed. And the bottom piece could be opened up so that you could walk in. But if somebody was riding on a horse or an ass or a donkey, they would have to lift up the top piece so that those that were riding on a horse could ride in. Lift up your heads, it was called the heads, O ye gates. And be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this? King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And so as we read through the scriptures, this question is asked over and over again. And to every question, there is an answer. But let me stop here, just for a moment, and ask you a question. If this question was asked of you in these days, could you answer it? Uh, who is this that you go to worship? Uh, who is this uh, king of kings? Who is this king of glory that you keep talking about? Who is this Jesus that you worship every week? Would you be able to give 
an answer. Well, Psalm 24 goes on and it gives the answer in verse 8. Verse 8 says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord. <laughs> the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. And so if anybody asks you, Who is this King of glory? He is the Lord. And he's strong. And he's mighty. And he's able to save. Psalm 24 goes on to explain the King of glory. Then again in verse 10 it says, Who is this King of glory? And it says, The Lord of hosts. That word host means armies. The Lord of the armies. He is the King of glory. And then in Matthew 21 verses 10 and 11, we have these words. The answer to what we read earlier. And when he was come into Jerusalem, remember as he rode into Jerusalem, the crowds were saying, Who is this? And verse 11 says, verse 10 and 11 says, And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude says, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So, we're left in no doubt as to who this person is that is spoken about in Isaiah 63. And there are many other chapters that would explain this. Who is this? It's the Lord who is glorious in his apparel. And it's that statement I want to look at today. Glorious in his apparel. To do this, we will need to go right back, as it were, to his birth. Uh, Please turn to, if you would like to, uh, to Luke chapter 2. The Gospel of Luke chapter 2. I'm just going to read uh, maybe one verse. Luke chapter 2. And verse 7. It says this. And she brought forth her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Led him in a manger. Because there was no room for them. In the inn. Here we read that she. That is Mary. Brought forth our, our firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And then she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let me just say this no hospital care here, no midwives here. We've had a lot of ladies having babies recently, and we praise God for a country that has. Uh, wonderful hospitals and uh, what do you call them? Do you call them midwives and people who help them have the babies and so forth? It's been that long since we have had one, but there you go. Uh, so it's wonderful to be in Australia that has all this help on hand. But no midwives here. Mary herself, straight after the birth, took up the child and with what she had, she wrapped him up. Swaddling clothes. Uh, They were like large bandages. A bandage type material, the dictionary tells us. They were also used to wrap up the dead in embalming ceremonies. So right from his birth, he had the mark of death upon him. He was wrapped in swaddling bands. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. He was glorious in his apparel. And when the shepherds came and saw him wrapped in the 
poorest of clothes. They worshipped him and returned, rejoicing after having met the Savior. Now, the wise men, and I need to emphasize this, the wise men came much later. They did not see the infant Jesus. They did not see the stable. They did not see the manger, such as is portrayed in many so-called nativity scenes we see at Christmas time. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, young child, peda in the Greek, not baby, not infant. The word for infant is more raw. And in verse 11, it also says, young child. But it also tells us that by this time, Mary and Joseph and the young child, Jesus, was in a house. Please turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10 and 11. And they had heard the king, when they had heard the, the king, they departed, and lo, the star which saw, they saw in the east uh, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced, with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. So the first thing they gave to him was not gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The first thing they gave to him was their worship. They fell down and worshipped him there. But it tells us that he was a young child. It tells us he was in a house. The Lord by this stage would have been between one and two years of age. And if you look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16, we see the reason why we believe that. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16 says this. When Herod, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in the coast thereof from two years old and under. Now listen to this. According to the time which he diligently inquired of the wise men. According to the time which he diligently inquired of the wise men. Listen, he had no interest in visiting the newborn babe. He had no interest in worshipping the young child. He took great interest in the timing of the Lord's birth so that he could take action and slay all the newborn babies in Bethlehem and around the coast. Two years of age and younger, according to the time the wise men told him. The swaddling clothes of infancy, glorious in his apparel. Now once these wise men met our Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God says they went home another way. They duped the king. They didn't go back and tell him. They knew. They were wise. (laughs) They knew what Herod wanted and they went home another way. We too 
once we come and meet the Savior, we go home another way. If we were not saved, if we have never met the Savior, then we go home to an eternity in hell. But once you meet the Savior, then you go home another way. Praise God. It's glorious. And there's a parable. And before we go on to our next point, I need to say that when the Lord was born, he was born into poverty. He was covered in swaddling clothes, the swaddling clothes of death. He did not come as a rich man or a king or a military leader. He came with one objective in mind. And that was to die on the cross for the sin of the whole world. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Then, as I've already said, Mary, who had to endure childbirth, and without any help, maybe a little from Joseph, but it says that she wrapped the babe in swaddling clothes. Let me say this. Out of the virgin womb into the mother's hand. Bound for the virgin tomb, then into the father's hand. And folks, only believers. Only believers' hands touched him in his birth. And only believers' hands touched him in his death. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. But he allowed evil men to have their way with him. He allowed evil men to strike him and to buffet him and to nail him to the cross. And all this was done so that the Old Testament prophecies and the types and the pictures might be fulfilled. Isaiah 7 verse 14, a virgin will conceive. Numbers 19 and verse 9, folks, talks about the, the sacrifice which is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say, And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of an heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. And as I studied this, folks, that to me is a beautiful picture of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, a clean man, taking the body of our Savior, our sacrifice, laying him in a clean place, his own tomb, which was new, had never been used, and was outside the camp. So the prophecy of the virgin was fulfilled. The type of the sacrifice, the ashes, the clean man, was fulfilled. And of course the wicked and the treatment spoken of in Isaiah 52. He is more marred than any man. Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. And it goes on to tell you the cruel treatment our Saviour bore. Psalm 22, it talks about the cross and what he endured on the cross. Many other passages were fulfilled 
in detail and to the letter. Certainly, he was glorious in his apparel, the swaddling clothes of infancy and death. Next we look at a part of one of his garments. Please turn to Matthew chapter 14. Just a part of one of his garments. Matthew 14, 34 to 36. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Folks, to me, these are incredible verses. But what great faith these people had. The men of that place brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. Why? Why did they want to touch the hem of the... Why did they ask this question? The men of that country brought all the sick and all the disease. They never asked to be healed. They, they never asked for prayer. They never even asked if he could touch them. They besought him. Uh, they would have said something like this. Uh, we beseech thee, or please allow us just to touch the hem of your garment. Why, folks? Why would they ask this very strange request? Well, I believe we have the answer way back in Matthew chapter 9. So please turn back to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 20. Matthew 9 verse 20 says, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the uh, minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, or please keep one. For the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the damsel arose. I listened to this. And the fame hereof went abroad into all the land. All the land. Now here's the situation. This woman who touched the hem of his garment had great faith. She touched the hem of his garment. Why the hem? Why did she not just touch him? Why did she not just touch his clothes as he passed by? Folks, the word of God is very specific. And it says, hem. 
Chapter 9, verse 20. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. I want to look at this garment for just a moment. Now, now remember, we're looking at glorious in his apparel. And in John 19 and verse 23, it says this. The soldiers were dividing his garments between them. It was almost like the spoils of war. But in relation to this outer garment, in relation to his outer garment, they said, Matthew 19, 24, let us not rend it. See, four soldiers. Normally there would be five pieces of clothing. And they divided one each, and they get to this uh, outer garment, and they say, look, let's not rend it, let's not divide it in four. But let's cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. So rather than rip the outer garment into four pieces, they gambled for it. Do you know they had no choice but to gamble? They had no choice but to gamble because prophecy had told us that they cast lots. In Psalm 22 and verse 18, it says, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. So when the soldiers gambled for it, what happened to the vesture? What happened to it? Now what I'm going to say now is only a possibility. I remember... Going back now 60 years when I heard Willie Mullen explain this. And it's only a possibility. Don't go outside these doors and say I'm preaching heresy, okay? It's only a possibility. Firstly, the soldiers were at the cross. Could the soldier who won this outer garment... Leave it at the foot of the Lord's cross. Where his blood would have already stained it because he was whipped within an inch of his life. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they took off him the purple robe and put his own garment back on. Then the blood of the cross would have perhaps dripped onto that garment and stained it. Now that being so, maybe the soldier who won it kind of rejected it. Then Joseph of Arimathea, when he came to take the Lord down off the cross, and we're not going to the details, but he may have used that outer garment to cover the Lord as he took him off the cross and as he conveyed him to the tomb. Then whenever Mary saw him on resurrection morning, he was not bright and shining the way we see in many paintings because she thought him to be the gardener. Could it be that he was wearing the outer garment? Then when we read in Revelation 19, maybe we'll turn to that, Revelation 19, 13 to 16. Revelation 19, verse 13. 
and he was clothed. Let's go back to verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A vesture dipped in blood. Could this be seen as evidence as he comes back to take vengeance on the enemies of God? Wearing this vesture, this outer garment, with his own blood that was shed and stained this vesture. And if you want to look more in John 19, 1, Matthew 27, 28, Matthew 27, 30, it talks about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he would have put that garment on, it certainly would have been stained with blood. Folks, it's only a possibility. But this is how specific the word of God is. This outer garment had a hem. And the soldiers fulfilled prophecy when they gambled for it. But when the scripture records details like the hem, it is good that we should study the details and see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. You see, every word is given by inspiration of God. And we ought not to just read over the details. So this outer garment was woven from the top to the bottom. Woven throughout, the word of God says. Now when it was being made, and I believe the women who journeyed with him from Galilee may have made this for him. Mark chapter fifteen forty one says, Who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him, administered unto him. And in verse 40, it tells us who those women were. Now please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, and verses 1 to 3. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod Stuart, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Now please turn back to Matthew 27. Matthew 27 and verses 55 and 56. And many women were there, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. 
among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and uh, the mother of Zebedee's children. So many women followed the Lord Jesus Christ right from Galilee, right through his ministry and ministered unto him. If he had a need, and I believe that these clothes and so forth would have been put together for the women. Now, I have no basis for that. It just says that they ministered unto him. Okay? So these faithful women ministered unto him. And just like the men disciples, faithfully, they followed him throughout their journey. I want to just say this. Men, folks, those that are here, those that are listening in on live stream, we need to be very thankful for the ladies. We need to be thankful for those who minister, those ladies who minister so much. I was thinking about this just last night. And this is not an accusation or a criticism against the man. But who's playing the piano this morning? A lady? Who was playing the organ this morning? A lady? Who's playing the violin and the flutes and all the other instruments? The ladies? Who sets out these beautiful flowers? The ladies? The ladies do a lot of work. Mostly behind the scenes. So thank you, ladies. You are much appreciated. I look at this garment. The ladies, the women, ministered unto him. This garment would be made, and when it came to completion, the hem. And please, ladies, don't scream out. If you find that I'm saying something wrong, speak to me later, then I'll correct the doctrines that I'm about to tell you. Okay? But this garment was made, and the last thing to complete it would be the hem. It would be the last thing to bring it to conclusion. Now, I'm not a seamstress, but I believe it would go like this. One piece woven throughout speaks to us of completeness and consistency. And as such, it speaks to us of a complete, consistent life of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the hem, the hem would be done last of all. And it was the hem that this poor, sick woman touched. It was the hem that these people from Gennesaret wanted to touch. So what was represented in the hem? Well, firstly, I believe the process goes like this. The hem would have to be folded up. Whenever you get a piece of material and you want to hem it, you fold it up. The hem will have to be folded or lifted up. John 3.14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 8.28 says this, Then Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up, the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He. In John chapter 12, 32 it says, And I, if I be lifted up 
from the earth will draw all men unto me. John 12, 34, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so our Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up, just like the hem. The second thing that would be done in relation to the hem would be to sew it together. And to do this, there would have been a piercing. The needle would have to go through the material and pierce the material to complete this garment. In order to bring it to a finished situation. In Psalm 22, in verse 16, it says this. They pierced my hands and my feet. And here again we see the accuracy of Scripture. Because when this was written by King David, Psalm 22, crucifixion was unheard of. They pierced my hands and my feet. Unheard of. It was brought in by the Romans when they invaded Palestine, when they invaded Israel, as it were, at that time. And crucifixion is a horrible way to die. You die by, you die by asphyxiation. Because as you're on the cross, and especially when your feet is nailed to the cross, not tied, as sometimes we see, but nailed to the cross, it would be excruciatingly painful trying to press up and get a breath. And the, eventually the, the body would just hang there and eventually a very slow death of suffocation. A horrible way to die. Many times it's mentioned in the New Testament. But nowhere, and this may surprise you folks, but nowhere is it mentioned in the New Testament that our Lord was nailed to the cross. Did you realize that? Nowhere in the New Testament does it tell us that he was nailed to the cross. But let me explain something. It talks about crucifixion many times. It says, and there they crucified him. And they took him out and they crucified him. Praise God for Psalm 22 and verse 16. Because we know, according to Scripture, he was nailed to the cross. And then it becomes very evident when Thomas talks. And we talk about doubting Thomas. In John 20, verse 25, it says this. Except I see in his hands... the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side I will not believe so there was a piercing he was nailed to the cross there was a folding up a lifting up and a piercing and then the last thing you ladies would do if you were Hemming a garment in relation to this hem. To complete the hem properly, it would have to be pressed. And to press it, the hot iron would have to be applied to finish the work. Likewise, the heat of God's wrath, as it were, pressed upon our Savior as he paid the sins of the whole world. 
Isaiah 52 tells us he was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Isaiah 53, he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. With his stripes we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And it was during those hours of darkness that Jehovah God placed our sin in his only begotten son. And the heat of God's wrath, as it were, was put upon him. And so when the garment was eventually finished, the hem had been lifted up. The piercing had been done. The pressing had been applied. The owner could lift the garment and say, It is finished. Finished. Likewise, our Lord, our pure, faithful, holy life was lifted up. His hands and his feet were pierced and nailed to the cross. The heat of the judgment of God was applied and he was able to say, It is finished. Finished. The work of salvation. The fulfillment of all the Old Testament types. The propitiation or the appeasing of a holy God. All completed. And folks, when this poor, sick woman, whom no one else could cure, touched the hem of his garment, she was touching in faith the finished work. It's a picture of the completed work of the cross. And it was a touch of faith. Because many were pressing around about him. And he said in Mark 5, 25, Who touched my clothes? Everybody was touching, the disciples said. Everybody's pressing against you. But in Luke 8 and verse 46 it says, Someone has touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And it was a touch of faith. On the finished work, as it were. A picture of the finished work of Calvary. And folks, when one comes by faith and believing in the finished work of Christ, they can be cured, as it were, from the penalty of sin. Just one last thing in relation to this poor sick woman who was healed. It would have taken... A position of humility to approach the Lord. She did not touch his shoulder. She did not touch his arm. She touched the hem of his garment. Where is the hem of the garment? It is as low as you can get, Brother John. She touched the hem of his garment, the bottom of his garment. And she would have had to be in a position of humility. Bowing, as it were, before the Lord and touching the finished work of Christ. Hey, folks, just in closing, let's go back to our original reading. Matthew 14, verse 34 to 36. And they besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And I asked the question, why? Why did they say this? Only touch the hem of his garment. Well, as we read in Matthew 9, verse 26, you see that just after he healed this woman and raised a maid from the dead, it says, his fame thereof went abroad into all the land. Surely he is glorious in his apparel. 
And these people would have heard that he healed the sick. These people would have heard that he brought back the dead to life. And that's why they only wanted to touch the hem of his garment. They wanted to put their faith in the finished work, as it were. And folks, he is the same God today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he can heal the sickness of sin. He can bring back to life those who are dead, spiritually speaking. Ephesians 2 1 says, And you have he quickened or brought back to life who were dead in trespasses and sins. All you have to do is to come humbly before him and trust in the finished work of Calvary. May you do so for his name's sake. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father. Oh, we thank you for thy word. We thank thee for the details of thy word. We thank thee that we can study it. We thank thee that you can show what you would have us to believe. And oh God, our Father, we do pray that each one here may have put their trust in the finished work of our Savior. The one who was lifted up. The one who was pierced and nailed to the cross. The one who endured the hot wrath of Almighty God as he placed on his own Son the sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, no one's left out, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I pray, Father, this day that many might come to a saving knowledge of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.